everybody. Uh, I'm David Mancini, uh, Director of the Music Division at Southern Methodist University, uh, Meadows School of the Arts. I'm here uh, with one of our distinguished faculty members, Mr. Aaron Boyd, who is uh, the Director of Chamber Music and Professor of Practice in Violin. Aaron, uh, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much, Dr. Mancini. I would like to start by asking you to tell us uh, how you came to SMU and how you reached your current position there. Ah, that is fun. And it's fun because I was talking to my wife the other day about this. I would say that practically every major position that I have occupied in my life came to me by way of one colleague who uh, was always out in front and recommending that I do certain things. And uh, when I was a member of the Escher String Quartet, we were curious about um, growing our outreach to students and reaching out to students at universities and other, and other ways. And my dear friend, Masami Rosted, a violist of the Pacific Quartet, suggested, why don't you contact Matt Albert at SMU? He's a brilliant uh, leader of chamber music and, and progressive thought of chamber music at schools. Why don't you reach out to him and uh, suggest your quartet for residency? Exactly what I did. And to my surprise, I mean, really to my surprise, because musicians get used to knocking on a lot of doors that go unanswered. And it's, it's a skill that you have to learn. I mean, you have to learn, you have to, learn to put up with uh, unanswered phone calls and unopened doors and things like that. And Matt was immediately receptive. And in fact, so were uh, Andres Diaz, the great uh, cello professor, and at the time, the violin professor, Chiyun, both of whom... I knew from concertizing with them in chamber music years before in Korea. They were, everybody was thrilled. Everybody was receptive. And so we, with almost, very, with very little effort, I made a proposal. I wrote it when I was in Israel and uh, it was accepted. We came to campus and I've never left. That was in March of 2015. And I, I've, I've, I've been here in, a, in, a, in three uh, iterations. I came here as a, as a guest visiting artist in the in march of 15 and the, all throughout the school year 15 16 i came with the Escher quartet as a guest as a guest artist and then uh to my delight uh whenever matt accepted a position at the university of michigan uh, i was invited by both you and dean holland to serve as interim director of chamber uh in the 16 17 school year uh and when the opportunity arose yet again to apply for the full-time position, I did so with great eagerness and to my everlasting joy and pleasure, I, am, I was selected for that position and I serve to this day with the happiest uh, faculty. I must be one of the happiest faculty members you've got. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues for you, if I'm not mistaken, was the transition from a, a career totally devoted to uh, performance and recording to a, an academic position where you found yourself in front of uh, a student groups and in faculty meetings and so on and so, so forth. How was that transition for you? Well, I loved it, uh, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't extremely challenging. I mean, that my first year full-time on campus was extremely trying uh, experience because uh, there was tremendous overlap with my uh, previous full-time career as a concertizing violinist in the Escher Quartet, as well as other solo engagements. And so uh, somewhat to my chagrin, uh, 
because I had so many contracts uh, for concerts and, and things in that uh, 17, 18 season, I was gone a lot. And I, that made running the, the, uh, the chamber music area very challenging. But um, some of those trips away were extremely fruitful. For example, I spent about three weeks in um, March and late March and early April of 2017 on an unforgettable tour of Greece with the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center, which was ultimately filmed and made into a, um, a live from Lincoln Center broadcast and then a, a DVD uh, documentary about this trip, which was an incredible event in my life. To, to, to... Yeah, that's, that was a wonderful uh, production, uh, if I may say so. Oh, thank you. Uh, a really, really well done uh, production from all uh, all standpoints, and it did show you not only in in solo performance but in in chamber performances as well. That's right, and and it was an ex it was I mean that experience was unforgettable. Not only because of the beauty we were uh, of where we were playing and these incredible locations and these incredible churches and things, but also just the sheer volume of work. I mean, the, the, in, at one point in that video recorded the uh, a performance of the Beethoven serenade for violin flute and viola it's a wonderful piece well it, it's only about 20 something minutes long but to record that and film it we went from about 8 a.m until about 9 p.m uh, <laughs> and then had a nice meal afterwards but i mean the days were like that but um in retrospect it was just an absolutely unforgettable experience so in my first year i was learning uh, academia, which was new to me. I was learning Texas in Plano, Texas, where I live, which was new to me. I was learning, learning home ownership, which as you, are, <laughs> as you well know, David, because I, I- Yes, I remember long discussions about uh, hailstorms and fire ants. And foundations. And uh, <laughs> I turned to David, I turned to you many times for, for advice and for comfort, at least. Anyway, um, everything was new to me at that year, home ownership and- and uh, academia and, and managing courses and grading students. I mean, I really was new to this. And so the first year was very challenging. However, I will say that it was made much easier uh, by not only your tremendous generosity of spirit and help, but also, my God, our faculty is really full of nice people. And I made yes. a lot of very yeah. dear friends immediately uh, that first year. And they were generous, they were helpful, they were supportive. And that really got me through that first very difficult year. And it continues to carry, carry me along now and inspire me uh, through the friendship of, of our colleagues. It's a wonderful thing when, when a faculty works together uh, that way. And, and it really does, it, it helps everyone, actually, not just a new person to the faculty, but it also helps many of us who have been there, well, more years than we'd like to uh like to count at this point <laughs> many of our prospective students in particular look at our website and and are interested in in hearing about the education of of our uh faculty and uh you're a product of the the juilliard school of course one of the great and most prestigious conservatories in the world what did that do for you how did that uh, prepare you for the kind of career you're experiencing you're experiencing now that's a very good question because it applies very much uh, to the advice that I give to students who have applied for Meadows now and, uh, and are, are, are considering multiple schools before they commit. The truth is I learned a lot of Juilliard. I don't think I 
in terms of um, theory and things like that, I don't think that I learned there things that I could not learn elsewhere. But I think that what I did have there at that time was contact with faculty that is almost impossible to imagine now. Um, and mm. for example, for example, my chamber music coach uh, was Felix Gallimir, who was um, who recorded the Ravel Quartet under Ravel's direction, who uh, was very close friends with Schoenberg and Stravinsky and, uh, and Mio, premiered Mio works. And uh, so you had someone like Felix Gallimir, who knew every, was in the NBC Symphony Orchestra and knew everybody, great composers, knew, was very close with Baird, made the first recording of the Baird Lyric Suite. And uh, this was somebody who I, would, who I would take chamber music with. And I played for cellist Harvey Shapiro, who was one of the greatest cellists, cellists of the 20th century. Uh, Rostropovich called him the greatest cello teacher of the 20th century. I, I'm inclined to think he was one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. And here was somebody who played for Glazunov and Sasson when he was a young boy. <laughs> so now this is yesterday in my mind, but actually, when I think about it, uh, this is now a long time ago. I was a freshman in 1996. And so I met faculty there at the very later stages of their own lives and careers. But I met faculty there, which is impossible to imagine now. The connections with, with great artists of the past. How do you find the act of transmitting that kind of experience to your students? Uh, I know this is something that you've been interested in, uh, especially the uh, communicating knowledge about the great performers uh, of the past, uh, some of whom, as you say, you've already, you, you've worked with yourself. Uh, how, how, how do you transmit that to your uh, students? I think what has been most effective for me is that because these people meant so much to me, and I have a very strong, very passionate regard for um, preserving their memory and preserving these connections, I, I have found that uh, my excitement in sharing this is uh, compelling for students. And I think they too hunger for a connection uh, to the great artists. And I, I think they delight in the knowledge that these degrees of separation are much smaller than they might have thought. It's a, it's, a, it's a conceptual change to think, oh my goodness, oh, you knew this person who knew this person, and you're only, a, for example, I mean, for example, uh, I, I played the Beethoven Triple Concerto with two very, very dear colleagues uh, in the fall. Uh, uh, Professor Andres Diaz and Dr. Caroleone. Well, Dr. Caroleone studied with uh, the great pianist Korzhovsky, who studied with uh, uh, Leszczytski, who studied with Czerny, who studied with Beethoven. Uh, so there are only three or four degrees of separation between a current and rather young Beethoven's faculty member and Ludwig van Beethoven. Mm. And I find that very compelling. And I, I find that students find that very compelling when it's brought to their attention. And I just want to add that it's never been easier to share uh, the recorded legacy and even documentary legacy of great artists than it is now, thanks to the internet and thanks to websites that offer access, even YouTube. There's a wealth of information that I couldn't even dreamt of when I was 16. And so it's never been easier uh, to, to share 
the legacy of these great artists. Uh, tell us about uh, some of the uh, assignments that you've given during this particular difficult time of uh, COVID-19. I think they've really uh, been uh, assignments that have brought uh, a history of the uh, of, of chamber music and performance directly to the students. Can you tell us a little bit about those those assignments that you've developed? Well, I'd be happy to. The When the school decided to uh, not reconvene after spring break and then ultimately we threw in the towel for the rest of the semester like every other uh, every other school institution in the country uh, I had to come up with something that I thought would be appropriate uh, to connect the state connected with the gym music class throughout the rest of the semester since teaching chamber music uh, via zoom was really not going to be an acceptable or viable option as far as I was concerned um, so I took this opportunity to curate uh, a collection uh, weekly. Instead of our, our, our Friday masterclass meetings, I chose to send them Friday listening assignments or viewing assignments or even thinking uh, assignments. And we, I went through either uh, deciding between the most important works of chamber music or some of the most influential chamber musicians uh, or most influential thinking musicians. Uh, I was mentioning Glenn Gould in our previous conversation. I, I leaned on Glenn Gould a lot because not only is his playing fascinating, his thinking is fascinating, but his presentation and personality, I thought, might be uh, very interesting for our students. And so I sent them things just to listen to and to consider. And it was a beautiful way. Uh, as far as I was concerned, it was, it was one of my dreams is to, to, to make this a part of our regular. Um, a curriculum that they are constantly uh, in touch with the greatest music and the greatest artists, even uh, when they're not playing. Speaking of curriculum, uh, Aaron, tell us about uh, some of the uh, innovations that you brought to our chamber music curriculum, either uh, when you first came and, and what you've got planned for the future. Well, I, I, I do want to say that I inherited a program that was already uh, growing by leaps and bounds, thanks to the vision of three people, uh, both you and Sam Holland, who clearly valued the role of chamber music in uh, our school and in the, the education of young musicians, but also Matt Albert, who was a principal actor in helping you to realize this vision very early on. So I, I, I want to reiterate that I already inherited a, a program with momentum and this the much-needed support behind it, and I'm very grateful for that support. But what you've allowed me to do, uh, to my great joy, has been to create as many opportunities as possible for faculty and or guest artists collaborate side-by-side side in a group with our students. And I think, because this was what I discovered when I went to the Marlboro Music Festival, where I from, from where I got this idea anyway. That's why I called the Marlboro model that teaching chamber music this way is the most uh, penetrating, the most effective, the most uh, direct means of transmitting uh, instruction and thought by actually playing alongside an artist greater than you, more experienced than you, and hearing what they, what they intend rather than listening to them talk about it. Uh, I, I may have shared with you before that I, I consider there's a place for an instructor to sit there with a score and to point out this and that, but I, th I think largely I consider that uh, old technology. 
And I, the, for me, the future of teaching chamber music is in this side-by-side -side model, and it has grown every year to the point where next semester, I expect that we'll have more faculty playing in, uh, alongside students than we've ever had before. Yes, and I think I can testify to the fact that students find this to be one of the most exciting aspects of their learning experience uh, here in the, in the music division. It's especially striking to me, actually, when, when uh, you have a student who's worked with a faculty member in, say, their private lessons uh, for several years, right. and then they suddenly have the chance to perform in a, in a chamber ensemble with that faculty member. It's a totally new and exciting experience for them. It's, it's remarkable how, how uh, they react uh, to it in such a, uh, such a positive way. I, well, I think that speaks to the directness of the transmission of, of thought and of, of intent. And you're, you're hearing it right next to you. And, you're, and by the way, there, there is no, nothing can replace the experience of sitting next to an artist that's more experienced and well better than you and seeing them get nervous and seeing them get nervous and <laughs> that is an important thing to see that the, the the great artists like many of our the fantastic and really um you know internationally regarded faculty that we have to see them on stage for our students to play along them when they're nervous is a great thing uh yes it humanizes everybody. That's why I think it's the, that's why I feel very strongly this is really the, the most compelling way to do it. We have been discussing some new curricular proposals over the past few weeks. And of course, uh, you know, curriculum does take a while to develop, but uh, I think it might be a good idea to, to, for you to give us an idea of what, what you've been, what you've been thinking about in terms of a, a, a program in a degree or Diploma program in chamber music. Can you can you give us some some of oh, your happily. thoughts on? Most happily, this is something that I, I I'm very excited about. Well, I, in fact, there are two. You may have alluded to the the first that is a a little bit more local, just to strings. It just applies to strings in school. Is the is the idea of offering uh, a a course for violinists who wish to play the viola? Now that might sound basic, but. Uh, one of the great weaknesses of string players, um, I guess wind players as well, is that we are essentially single line players. And we and for that reason I always I always insist and somewhat tease all of my colleagues that pianists are automatically better musicians than us string players because they confront more lines, they confront greater polyphony all the time in the score, and they have the score in front of them, they're very lucky in guard. And so I'm very excited about um having our violinists stretch their horizons instrumentally by playing another instrument and then also they, they increase their economic uh viability when they leave school because they can play two instruments um you, you know you've you've asked about violas playing the violin and i think that's a great thing too and so i'm very proud of that but i'm even more excited about a offering a, a developing and ultimately offering a master's degree in chamber music uh, because this is actually an answer to, to something that people want. They really want, especially these days, uh, when they look at certain aged institutions or um, less flexible institutions, they want the freedom to, to curate their, to cultivate and curate their own career. And the best way to do that is in a small business and in chamber music. And these students are hungry to come to school 
and immerse themselves in chamber music. And so uh, I'm working very, very hard and uh, very quickly, very swiftly to get this on our books as soon as possible so that a student can come to Meadows very soon and earn a master's degree in chamber music. There are only a very few other institutions that, that have anything uh, like that. Uh, so I think, you know, this will position us very well. I think so. Uh, be- our competition, especially, especially if you if you let me add, especially given our uh, somewhat unique um, density of faculty and student collaboration. I think that with the chamber degree, as well as the side by sides that we've got, we actually are at the point where we're offering something unique. One of the things that I think distinguishes uh, the Meadows uh, programs overall is this idea of entrepreneurship. Uh, And you touched on that briefly. I'd like to ask you uh, to address in specific terms, what do you tell your younger students uh, when they tell you that they want to have a career in music performance? You've been there and you are doing that right now. What do you tell them? Well, I start out, I start every August chamber music orientation with the following phrase, the moment you leave this school, you will be the only person advocating for yourself. And it is your job to learn how to advocate for yourself uh, as strenuously and as cleverly as possible. And that sounds harsh, but I don't see it that way. To me, it puts the responsibility and also the, the, uh, the joy of doing this into the students' hands. They realize that they have the power to curate their career uh, as much as they as much as their imagination allows them to do so. And then moving on from there, I think that a lot of this comes down to values. And I, I've tried to make that not only participation in chamber music, the chamber music course at school, but also in my syllabus and even the way that I talk to students, that success is very much uh, very largely a part of your values as a person, writing those letters, calling people back, answering your, your emails, and, and showing up early and being prepared. I mean, these are very basic values, but you'd be amazed. It's those basic values that get you rehired. Yeah, we've, uh, we, we're no longer in a situation where I believe a student can just sit by the telephone and wait for uh, someone uh, to call with a job offer. No, it's been, it's been a long. You're right. It's been a long time since it's been like that, and and they have they have means at their disposal that I didn't have when I was twenty. Yes, there were websites in 1998, but um, they weren't dynamic in the way that they are now. We didn't have YouTube then. This has all happened really recently, and so there are a lot of ways uh, in which students are now empowered by technology to make themselves visible that would have these ways these these were impossible. Uh, 30, 40. Mm. You had to hire a publicist and hire a manager and hope you could get a haul and hope you could get a good, a good review. That's different now. And so students have a lot of power. Aaron, one of the uh, more important functions that you, you serve at uh, in the music division is mentoring the uh, Peak Fellowship Ensemble uh, in residence. Can you sort of give us an outline of, of uh, how, how that came to be? What What is the nature of that fellowship program? Oh, well, I'd be delighted to because this is one of the most exciting aspects of my position at Meadows 
And it's something really extraordinary that we have to be proud of here. In 2015, an incredible benefactor to the school, uh, Martha Rayleigh Peake, uh, and gifted a certain amount of money to establish this fellowship, which was for uh, ensembles to be chosen by audition. Uh, it so happened that the first um, ensemble was was made up of current Meadows students of a very talented young group called the Cezanne Quartet. And during my interim period, we had auditions uh, to replace them after their two years in residence, and we ended up with another extremely talented young group, the Julius Quartet. Uh, however, I was not satisfied with the process for selecting uh, these ensembles. We got lucky twice, but I didn't want, I, I wasn't comfortable with the vagaries of just opening up auditions and waiting to see who applied. So I, uh, I decided to approach uh, Mr. Barry Schiffman, who is a, a friend and a, a very thoughtful uh, violinist and an arts administrator and happens to, to run the Banff International String Quartet competition in Canada. Now, this competition is uh, the largest chamber music competition of its kind and already had an enormous prize package and already had a tremendous tr track record for uh, choosing quartets that would go on to establish really long and significant international careers. And so I approached uh, Mr. Schiffman and I suggested to him that we partner up that I offer our uh, funds as part of the prize money, and in return, we uh, are able to to invite and have the first prize winners of the Banff competition in residence as peak uh, the peak fellowship ensemble residence uh, after they after they are selected. And he also, to my surprise, he leapt at that opportunity, and it went it went in a direction I didn't quite expect, which was that. <laughs> of course, um, uh, Martha Rayleigh Peake's daughter, Martha Rochelle, who's a, a, a woman I've now grown to love and I consider a very dear friend, she was an, extremely enthusiastic about the idea and even joined me and Dean Holland in Banff in August to witness the competition to see who our next uh, Peake Fellowship Ensemble would be. And it, it would so happen, I guess, luck was that our first year of involvement with this with the Banff competition was the very first time that Banff ended up with two first prize winners. Uh, and so we ended up with two uh, ensembles, which begin, uh, God willing, their residencies on campus in the fall. Now, this will still allow us to, to select other ensembles besides the Banff winners. I, I think we have, uh, what is it, a year between That's right. selection that we can use to uh, invite other ensembles, other kinds of ensembles to be. Yes, and, and Martha, Martha, unfortunately, as I mentioned, I never met uh, Martha Rayleigh Peake, and unfortunately, but I am close with her daughter. Of course, Mrs. Peake uh, has since passed. And her daughter is very keenly involved in the future of this uh, this prize, and she is um, she would be delighted uh, to see this be as flexible as possible, and for us to have as many uh, as many ensembles as possible, and for this to have as great an impact as possible. Yes, this is a very, very, very exciting thing for our. Uh, students as well. What kinds of things have, have the peak ensembles up to now done with some of the younger uh, students? 
in our program. We've had the, the uh, peak ensembles. Even that has has uh, grown over the years. I think at first they were relatively remote, and they were they had a stipend uh, thanks to the fellowship, and they were we granted them a space on campus, and they rehearsed and they performed, and we wanted them to carry the flag of the fellowship and of SMU medals wherever they went, and they did that. But starting with the Julius Quartet, I wanted to involve them more in some training of particular students, in master classes, in side-by-sides, both with faculty and with students. And uh, starting with the new Banff-winning Peak Fellowship Ensembles, we will have them really intensely involved, not just with uh, students in Meadows, but with faculty at Meadows. They want to be, they've expressed the desire to be in the classroom, to be in the Meadows Museum, be downtown to, uh, of course, do side-by-side activities and mentoring activities and career mentorship. And so we really have, uh, it's grown from just a resident ensemble that's rehearsing and has space and is growing their own ensemble under our umbrella to a a young kind of junior faculty type uh, of experience where they are growing not only their career, but and their quartet, but also growing their their pedagogic skills and their outreach skills. I think that's a wonderful uh, aspect of the uh, of that uh, fellowship opportunity, and I think it's uh, it's done a in a world of good for our uh, for our younger uh, students in particular. Uh, speaking of performance, though, you you have maintained uh, a, a a performance career. Since you've been at uh, Meadows, obviously uh, most of your time is spent uh, teaching and and uh, coaching and administrating uh, the chamber music program. But what's uh, what's ahead for you in uh, in the future uh, as far as your own performance is concerned? Well, I hate to say it, uh, but at the moment, nothing, because everything, at least through October at this point, has been canceled uh, thanks to the. Uh, current pandemic. Uh, this was to have been a very, very busy summer. I was going to be in uh, in Italy, where I might have had nice Chianti with you. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I make annual appearances at uh, the Music Menlo Festival, which is an amazing festival. And I, and I just received word about two days ago that my concerts at Saratoga Performing Arts Center in August were canceled. And I pretty sure that my three-week tour of China in September is probably not going to happen. So Probably not. I can tell you that, that I have to, I've chosen anyway, to look at the silver linings of, these, of, of this, these events, these cancellations. They've allowed me, A, this is the, the longest I've ever been in one spot since I was 17 years old, the past nine weeks. Uh, which is extraordinary, especially since I have a beautiful 11-year-old daughter and a four-year-old, a wonderful four-year-old boy. This is the most I've seen them uninterrupted in their lives. And that's beautiful. But it has also allowed me to uh, spend more time uh, thinking about what we can do in the fall and the spring of next year to give the most exciting and most compelling experience for our students. And also allows me to, to Practice music I haven't been able to, to practice. And, uh, and for example, um, I've spent so much time over the years playing my solo Bach, Sonatas and Partidas, that I decided that given 
given this time that, that we have now, uh, I'm going to just practice them enough that I can play all of them in one evening uh, in December at Meadows, which I'm going to do. And I hope you don't fall asleep, David. <laughs> no, that'll make a wonderful concert. Uh, the box solo violin music will keep us awake and interested, I am absolutely sure. But, you know, it, it, I'm sure, though, that at some future time, once uh, once things get back to what most of us would consider uh, more normal times, uh, you'll once again have to struggle yes. uh, with the uh, with the issue of balancing uh, home life, your your uh, academic uh, career with uh, concert uh, engagements. Yes, uh, I'm sure that will, will happen. Uh, you know, in due time. Uh, you seem to have made a home uh, at uh, SMU and and uh, and in Dallas. Um, what are your thoughts on on the uh, the future? What what do you see uh, happening uh, at at SMU in the music division, and and how do you you see yourself fitting into that? Well, I'm excited. I I'm excited, and I, I tell pretty much anyone who will listen to me almost every day how much I love uh, teaching and working where I, where I do. I love it. And it's, you know, I love the Meadows School of the Arts. And I, I, that's largely has nothing to do, obviously, with our, the building itself. It, it has everything to do with the people who inhabit it. And that's the, the staff and the, the, my fellow colleagues, um, my, who have all of whom practically are, have become very dear friends, and whom I respect all as great teachers and great artists. And so my enthusiasm is incredibly, incredibly strong. But so is my optimism, because I think we inhabit a, a very interesting uh, niche. Yes, there are a lot of schools, and there are a lot of music schools, and there are a lot of conservatories, and whatever. But there are very few schools with the combination of things that we offer, the location. Not only is Dallas an incredibly livable city, and our campus extraordinarily beautiful and the surrounding area beautiful and the food in Dallas is great. Uh, but the university is so strong academically. And then what we offer just specifically at Meadows with our the ex excellence of our large ensembles and the unique chamber music components, we offer, we have a unique uh, place. And, and it's, I think it's very compelling either for those who wish to make a music their major, performance their major, or for someone who wishes to, to pursue another more business or, or academic-related uh, activity, but still get an absolutely uh, top-notch, international-level arts education, music education. And this is something that I think we do better than almost anybody else. And on top of that, our faculty, my dear colleagues, are wonderful, wonderful teachers. And this is the source of my enthusiasm and my optimism about our future. On that enthusiastic and optimistic note, I thank you, Aaron, for spending some time with uh, me and, and our listeners telling us about some of the uh, interesting things that you have been a part of and, and that are uh, going on at the, at the Meadow School. And we all hope that in the very near future, we'll get back to uh, doing what we all uh, want to do and what we all do best. Here thank you. Me. Thank you, David. Pleasure.